We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Russell Earnshaw. We recently met up at the Mass Youth Soccer Workshop in Boston. He is a former professional rugby player and coach, heavily involved in coach education, but not the traditional form of coach education, as you're going to hear all about in this interview. Very, very different. He's consulted and delivered for Google, the English FA, Great Britain Rugby, British Triathlon, Rugby Football League, British Swimming, to name a few. Phenomenal insights on environments and the role of coaches in constructing them and interacting in them. Brilliant. Excited to hear your thoughts on this. At Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. Before we get started, a special shout out to our friends over at Sports Lab 360. If Soccer IQ is something you think your team could improve upon, stick around at the halfway point for a special offer from Nick Manzoni and the Sports Lab 360 team. Here is Rusty. Enjoy. Rusty, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Excited to have you on. Cool, mate. Thanks for having me. It's um, a little bit less salubrious than when we met in Boston, but um, hopefully uh, all's well in your world. Yeah, so let, let's kick it off with, with Boston, really, your presentation on could be one of the best topics I've ever seen, breaking the rules of coaching. Let's start there. What are these rules and, and how do they get in the way? That's a good question. Um, and and clearly, just to signpost people, I, I, often I am the person whose job it is to be slightly disruptive and to maybe get people to step outside of their current way of thinking Um, And I think a good way to do that is to maybe break the rules and maybe make some new ones. So um, I've just been reading a book called Be More Pirate. And so I'm trying to recruit more pirates. Uh, Yeah, and and it's whatever they are to you. So I think the question I asked to the people in the room was, look, what rules are currently exist in your environment that are traditions and maybe not that helpful? And if you could make some new rules, what would they be? So as an example, so... um, uh, one rule in football is that we've got some metal men in the cupboard and we feel like we need to use them. In the same way that in rugby, we've got some tackle bags and we paid for them. And so we feel like we need to incorporate them into our training some way, even though they're not that close to the game. Um, another one might be, so we were just talking there beforehand about the RAF. So the RAF would talk about everyone has a voice. I think one of the things I noticed in sport a lot is that Hierarchy is used against people. <clears throat> so one of the guys I saw delivered talked about it was his decision to whether or not to drop some bombs in Afghanistan on some people, which is a pretty big decision. But everyone has a red card. So everyone in the room has the ability to kind of have a voice. Um, I don't see that in in sport, especially in elite sport, um, as, as much as I would probably like to. I see less stuff that's flat hierarchically where... I see lots of people that have opinions and stuff away from the coach that is different to what they say around the coach. Mm. So it might be those type of rules as an example. It might be that 
um, that the that the player the the coach leads the debrief. Why aren't the players leading the debrief? Uh, it might be that um, we always start with technical shaping. Well, why don't we start the session with a game and then work out what needs coaching and then maybe finish with a game and see how we progressed as an example. So really the question is to people, what do you think are the kind of unwritten rules or traditions in your world? And then I just invited people to break them. Obviously with your background and, and not just rugby, but you've, you've worked in a number of sports. The one thing that I wanted to get your opinion on was, I mean, you've got to have a decent grasp of cultures now. And, and obviously <clears throat> not working in the U S but coming over here and doing, doing some bits with coach education, what what cultural differences do you see that shape the US and England? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and look, I don't think it's as simple as it looks like this here and it looks like this here. Um, what I noticed, so clearly my job as a coach is to notice stuff. So what I noticed in uh, Massachusetts was it was definitely helpful that they've almost split the between participation and competition. So the the dinner I went to on the evening was one of the most impactful dinners I've ever been to. And it was really like the young kids, the young referees, the way they spoke about sport and the impact on their life, the way that um, Coach Epiphany stood up and said, I was told that it, this, that my one rule was don't let you be the this kid's last coach. Um, that mindset around the purpose of sport, I'm sure there was a separate dinner going on somewhere else that was... They were celebrating how many games the coaches won. and uh, But I saw some kids giving standing ovations to coaches. I saw really positive interactions. I saw people developing as people through sport. So I can definitely see that. And the other thing, I come over to Boston every July and we do a on-pitch thing at um, actually in, uh, in Portland, Maine. And uh, I see lots of coaches come and think I'm really weird for about probably for the majority of the trip. And then come the end, they start to realise that actually the stuff I'm speaking about, which is definitely enjoyable, is definitely challenging, is definitely thinking differently about coaching. So the question I would often ask is, you know, how often do you play against a team and you don't know what they're going to do? And people go every week. And then I go, well, and how often do you train where both teams have a different scoring system and you're trying to work out the other teams? And they would look at me like I'm crazy. Um, however, this stuff is also will lead you to win more games. Now, by the way, I, I don't want, so one of the, <clears throat> an interesting thing, we just went to Malaysia and I coached basketball, which I have, I'm quite tall. Maybe that's why they allowed me to. Um, and the kids came up with their own kind of scoring system, their own games, they gamified it. And now they're winning lots of games really easily when they weren't necessarily before. Um, so I'm then think at that stage, then what's the next disruption for this group of players? So I'm not, whilst I want people to get better and stuff, they also need to understand that winning a game by a lot isn't that useful for you either. So how are you going to disrupt yourself? How are you going to make it harder for yourself? What challenges are you going to set? So um, to rewind back to your question, um, I've been really lucky uh, in, in terms of my experiences over there. I go to Canada, I go to America. I see coaches that want to get better. Um, I'm probably hanging out with the self-selecting people. Uh, but what I would say in Boston is I've had coaches come and I've actually had coaches come and, and complain after the first day and go, well, this isn't what I signed up for. Where's the X's and O's? Um, we'll get to that. Um, 
I think that'll, uh, and those coaches have then emailed me six months, a year later and go, um, we've just won the American championship and we've, you know, so they've actually, and often people want success as well. So I do get that they want to see some success from, from some different coaching stuff. So I'm also mindful that, you know, in the same way, it would be the same with you. You would have delivered some stuff. You'd get some real nice feedback in the moment. And, and further down the line in a year, two years, three years, you'll have players, coaches contact you and go, okay, wow, that was, that was pretty transformational. Um, I do, just don't think there's a difference. I definitely think there's some places where stuff's done well and it's, it's, it's focused around the, the people that are being coached. And I definitely see stuff on both sides of the Atlantic where coaches' ego uh, and their behaviour gets in the way of a good learning environment. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, let's go back to this traditional thinking and challenging it. Um, we talk a lot about player intelligence in, in our coaching community and soccer, but, but I wanted to get your thoughts from, from kind of looking at it from an outside lens. Do you think traditional thinking limits our ability as a coach to be creative and to to give inspiration to our players to, to play the game in a, in a more natural, energetic way? Yeah, look, and what do I notice? I notice that people that are producing really skillful, adaptable players who have high uh, game awareness are training in a way that creates that so they have practice design that looks like the game so you know let's reference your session you were looking at a traditional rondo and actually how could we make it more relevant to the game so the traditional rondo would have um, very low transfer in terms of things like scanning and game awareness and is there a defender behind me versus actually how can we adapt it and make it look more like the game so we're often uh, constrained by our practice design. We, we far too often copy and paste without understanding, in my experience. So I, I, I look at rugby. New Zealand started running some kind of attacking formations, one three three one two four two, and people just copied it without understanding why. In the same way that people would, you know, copy whoever invented the rondo and go, well, we're going to do that because they do it and they're quite successful without seeing all the other stuff they do or the fact that they've got these players for, you know, 10 hours a day if they want them. And actually the Rondo is a very small percentage of their time. Um, the other thing that I think is a limiting factor and hopefully um, would be something that I'm trying to, I'm definitely learning more about and I'm trying to get better at and I'm trying to help people think about is, is our coaching craft. So often the challenge of moving from a drill based to a more, you know, a more games-based, closer to the game, tactical warfare stuff is, well, what do I do as a coach now? So how do we upskill coaches on their craft around how do they use replays? How do they give feedback? How do they work on peer-to-peer -peer stuff? How do they use old way, new way as a way of, of getting people to develop their skills? So I'm trying to help people, and, and probably before all of that, spending a lot of time on and one of the things I kind of tried to divide the group up. It was an amazing place to coach in a ballroom, but it's also quite hard when there's people all over was to divide some people up and, and get them to notice some stuff. Um, and there'd be some classic stuff as coaches that in my opinion, we could be better at noticing. So 
the first thing would be off the ball um soccer rugby hockey they're all off the ball sports um just asking a coach you know just don't look at the ball see how long you can last is is good feedback for how much time they spend looking at the ball um another thing that i would probably try and notice more as a coach is where are people looking because it clearly limits their or, or allows them to then make decisions so in rugby so apologies i don't know soccer football as as well as lots of other people uh in rugby people who've been told never to kick they don't check the backfield or people who've been told they're a forward they don't check the backfield so you know they're not even looking there now it might be a good opportunity to go forward so i would get used to looking more at where people are looking so as a coach i need to think about where do i stand so i'm always amazed with goalkeeping coaches when they stand behind goalkeepers because clearly you'll get a view of something but one thing you won't see is where are they looking and probably one of the key things for a goalkeeper is what do you do before the save because i would imagine and i was always last picked at school and probably put in goal um and i wasn't that good um i would imagine that the best goalkeepers are making saves look quite easy because they've done their work beforehand they've anticipated they've deceived they've thought about where am i going to make him shoot and therefore i'm going to then go and save the ball there and probably the last thing that i i think we probably need to pay more attention to is uh is kind of the space between players so once we've seen something so you know i'm playing against your team gary and you've switched from um from being man on to being zonal as an example i'm trying to use some football lingo uh then who notices it? So I'm checking who's noticed it. And then I'm seeing, and how do they then share that information? And then how can we as coaches scaffold that stuff? Because so give an example of something I did in Canada. So we would play tactical games. One, I'll give you two examples of how I've done that. Uh, one team had a set of rules and the other team were trying to work it out. Okay, they were struggling. I, we then as coaches picked the player we thought was least likely to tell anyone else. And we told him all the rules of the game. So it's the classic coaching moment, if I told you. Uh, we gave him 10 minutes and he spoke to no one. And well, well, let's discuss why. Well, actually, because he's the kid that doesn't speak to anyone and he's quite low down on the power hierarchy and he's, and he's quiet and he might be quite introverted. And so are other people aware that actually he has the information? And how do we then share that as an example? Uh, I was with hockey on Monday night and we had one team and their goal was, and this would transfer to football, their goal was to get the ball back in the opposition half 20 times. They also picked the opposition player who they thought was the best player and their goal was in 10 minutes to limit that player's touches to less than five. But obviously the other team didn't know. So we played this out for about 10 minutes. Uh, and they were five nil up. Well, of course they were. They were getting the ball back in the getting the ball back high, and they were scoring. And the best player touched the ball once in ten minutes. Uh, how many people did he tell? None. Um, how many interactions did they have as a team? None. We then pulled them in, and and the team that were didn't know the rules had a huddle while the other team listened into their huddle, just to give them some awareness of how good are this team at problem solving and actually and. And did anyone notice it? And then who did they share it with type stuff? Interestingly, so the best player um, had to really be probed around how many times did he touch the ball? Once. 
Um, what did you do about it? Why do you think that was? He didn't actually realise he was being man-marked. He was really unaware. And these are 17, 18-year-old kids. Um, he definitely didn't tell anyone. And actually, we then needed to support him and go, well, actually, if you're being man-marked, you could go and stand next to another defender and there would be two defenders on you and we would create an So he probably needed a bit of support with solutions. So I've spoke a long time, but as an example, for me, there's three things as coaches that I think we possibly don't notice enough um, in rugby. And I, 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 I've got some experiences in, in soccer, but not as many as you. We tend to focus more on the fault correction around technical stuff. Um, and, and and a real good, you know, something I've definitely picked up recently from a ski conference was using old way, new way. So instead of, you know, little Johnny struggles to, I don't know, country, uh, kick the ball to someone because he's, he's, he's not looking. So I'm thinking of a rugby one. He's, he's not looking at the ball. So in rugby often they'll, they'll look up, they'll, they won't know where their foot on the ball is and they'll kick it and they'll, so we might say, okay, so we're going to, the next time you kick the ball, the next three times you're going to do old way and new way is looking at the ball. So some real, it's a real good coaching skill around, uh, skill act around uh, the brain noticing difference between the old way. I'm looking up, I'm skewing it, new way, but actually going from old way to new way and agreeing with them, what's the new way? Why is it the new way? So I think as coaches, we could be A, more skillful at noticing stuff that we're currently not noticing and B, give ourselves more, um, uh, understand more ways of how we can develop skill. So old way, new way is an example. I don't see enough peer-to-peer -peer feedback. So I was at a hockey session the other day and I just said, look, count how many times the goalkeepers have interactions without field players. Actually, you then change the scoring system. So if a goalie makes a save, it's three points, a goal's worth one point, then suddenly the, the goalie becomes a high-value player in your team and you probably need to speak to them a little bit more. So what are the things we can shape in the game that help support some of those kind of interactions that we're looking for? It's really, really interesting, this, this traditional thinking. You know, I look now at what things that I've done and how I've structured cultures and environments and I think they've been counterproductive because... You want player intelligence, you want ownership, you want leadership, but at the same time, our our whole organization structure is based on the fact that we control everything. We do everything. <laughs> we do the team talk. Player knocks on the door and asks for feedback. <laughs> How do we get away from that, I suppose? Because I'm sure every coach would agree, yeah, it's probably not good for X, Y, and Z, but it's this old hands up who wants change and then hands up who wants to be changed. Uh, what what can we do better to suppose to to pull ourselves away from those conditioned responses or behavior? Yeah, and look, I think uh, I think lots of this stuff. Um, I'm definitely not saying just let them go and play. I'm saying we probably need to scaffold some stuff. So if you were to say to the kids, you know, go go and do some individual skill practice, then they might need some scaffold around what that looks like. Um, they might not, by the way. They might come up with better practices than us. Uh, I think a lot of it comes down to conversations away from the pitch for me. So a good example. So I was at hockey the other day and they, they were put into teams and there was this, this session going on. And, and one of the teams, uh, I heard them say, 
oh, we got the best team, we're going to win. I was like, so what are you going to do about it to challenge yourselves? And they were like, well, I said, well, give me some stuff that would be useful. So they actually set some challenges. So their challenges were, once we score a goal, <clears throat> we're not allowed to score again until someone else has scored. And we think we can go the whole uh, of the tournament. So it's five mini matches without conceding a goal. Um, so they had use of pause and replays and stuff. So that gave them some opportunities to, to maybe stop a couple of goals. Um, so anyway, so we play this session out. I then start to overload teams against them. I, I get the referee to, to simbin them. I get, a, I get a, a, the referee to award a penalty. Uh, I, I really get it to be so, so tough for them. And they do it. Actually, we get to the stage where other teams were now telling everyone else. So at the start, just this team knows the information. At the end, everyone knows. So there's two games left. If the other teams are scoring two, this the, the team were going to sing a song. And they really didn't want to sing a song. They did not want to sing um, Let It Go. Uh, and so, um, so it just became this battle against these lads. And so at the end, they were just buzzing like we did it type stuff however like i was a bit so i was pleased but i was also like if i didn't chat to you guys you wouldn't have done any of this stuff so how can we make this normal how can you guys turn up and be how can you own the session how can you see the session and go and see your team and go here's some challenges how many of the coaches would want the players to do that all of us because actually you rock up at a session and there was there's probably four or five coaches and 50 kids. I am thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to individually coach 50 kids? No, you know, that's really tricky skill. Um, however, if they rock up and they've got some challenges and we might nudge them and go, do you, do you think you could do a few more than that type of stuff? And, and, you know, and they find, start to find meaning in it themselves. And, 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 and maybe we start to connect them up and actually there's some peer-to-peer -peer feedback once again, we might need to scaffold it. So classic, um, another hockey center. I was, uh, uh, the coach said, like, lads, go and, um, go and give each other some positive feedback on stuff you've, you've been doing well. And, um, and I walk over and two teenage boys have stood in silence. And I said, oh, how often do you do this? They said, I think we're only doing it because you're here, Rusty. <laughs> They're pretty perceptive, these kids. Uh, and uh, and so so well, let's scaffold that conversation. Let's go look. You know, Gary, what have you noticed about? You know, actually, I'll go look, Gary. I've noticed you do this really well, and would be awesome. You know, in the next ten minutes, if you could maybe try and do it. If you could do it five times, then you know that would be pretty cool. So we could scaffold more of those conversations. I definitely think we we assume that when we rock up, if it's me and I'm coaching group of twenty, there's one coach. I think we need to think there's possibly 21 coaches and actually how can we help them be better at owning their own feedback, giving peer-to-peer -peer feedback, noticing, changing the rules of the game, setting challenges, you know, and, and those are the players we'll pick. <clears throat> so think of the best players you've coached and, and I think of the best players I've coached and they would have those skills. Um, now, often by accident, because I'm like you, I look back and and I wouldn't want to share many coaching sessions from more than, I don't know, a week ago, because uh, they're terrible. Um, 
but 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 you know we could be much more intentional with that stuff so the thing so the thing that i'll take home from the um from boston more than anything else is so i created three co-coaching cards because i wanted to demonstrate how we could co-coach so i had three co-coaching cards and i said to the coaches you know any volunteers who wants to come and co-coach which is quite a brave thing to do and the kid said could we be co-coaches rusty so so i said cool so reese so i gave reese the card that was head of happiness so reese's job was to catch people doing stuff well and to fist bump them or high five them and um which was cool because actually it was quite nerve-wracking for the kids as you would have seen you know when you were coaching and there's hundred and odd coaches watching it's in a ballroom it's quite hard for the kids so uh so reese goes off on his little mission his secret mission uh and and then we just have a chat about well what was the impact of that did anyone notice what reese was doing oh, i didn't notice cool anyone have uh, anyone that made them feel good about stuff oh yeah reese got oh right that's what reese was doing so i was my silly assumption was that the co-coaches were going to be the coaches um clearly that's a a rule i need to break um the players were you know and and, and i think it's easier with the younger players so at no stage is an 18 year old teenage boy turned around to me and gone rusty can i coach whereas a nine-year-old kid has gone well why not what's the i haven't got the tradition stuff yet rusty so i'll have a go at it um so i think that's something else we should think about is how are we going to do peer-to-peer how are we gonna you know because we would all you know and i don't know enough about how successful you were at football, Gary, but I would imagine you would have been more successful if you knew back then what you know now as a coach. Yeah. Uh, me too. And so, you know, that whole experience with Reese, and once again, I'm I'm not just letting him go. I'm actually checking and going, is he doing it? Does he need some support? So I did say, do you need do you need a hand with this, Reese? You cool with it? Because <clears throat> it had some clues on the card anyway around catch them doing stuff well, maybe a fist bump or a high five. I said, do you need a hand with it? Do you need any help with it? And he was like, no, no, no. I said, cool, we'll just, I'll, you know, if I need to check in with you, I'll check in with you on it. But he was actually fine with it. Now, clearly, um, my job as a coach is to check in and go, look, mate, do you, do you need a bit of help type stuff? Um, but that was amazing. I mean, if that if I take one thing from Boston that I learned as a coach, it's that, yeah, I'm assuming the wrong thing about who the co-coaches could be. You use these cards then, I think this is really cool to to basically provoke a little bit of thinking with the coach or to challenge them out of their comfort zone whenever you go into an environment. Yeah, so, I mean, look, we, we designed these, I'm pretty proud of them, definitely. We've just done some business ones as well. And they're really to, in a playful way, to facilitate some conversations. So I describe them as... I put a deck of cards together that's 20 years of my mistakes. And this will hopefully help you not make as many mistakes as I did. So it might be as an example, one of the cards is um, uh, explore giving feedback in four different ways. So back in the day, Rusty thought there was only one way to give feedback and it was me to tell you what you were doing wrong. And, and that's the rules of coaching. Uh, I since discovered there was other ways of doing it. Um, and so, what I t just do with the coaches is I just throw the cards out on the floor and go, look, pick one that you think you're doing really well. So I would want to definitely recognize what people are doing well and what their strengths are. And we need to build on that. And I want them to be authentic and then pick one that would stretch you a little bit as a coach and actually have a think about how you might 
do that and and why or maybe also and the other one i said is if you co-coach with anyone and you think they do something well then give them that as well because the reality is we we probably like the peer-to-peer stuff <clears throat> more than the 44 year old man from middlesbrough rocks up for a for a couple of days in boston and then goes home so um <clears throat> i've played around with it i've done it in lots of different ways i try and make it playful so <clears throat> worcestershire cricket we had a starter <clears throat> a main and a dessert so the starter was your pre-session card your main was the one you were going to do in and your dessert was how you did your feedback so as an example someone picked starter um asked two players how they want their feedback today the main was uh, recreate a famous scenario from your sport and the uh, after was um uh, get feedback without warning on on your coaching language so it was it then just knitted neatly into the session so they asked the kids they actually quite liked the ipad stuff they recreated the a famous uh I think it was Shane Warne bowling against Mike Gatting. They put it on and they did that. And then they got some feedback on their coaching at the end of the session that was useful for them as well. Um, so I'm just trying to, you know, in a playful way, disrupt people's thinking. Um, and there's, yeah, there's, I don't know, 100 and odd cards. They're, they're, pretty, they're, they're pretty cool. There's some before, during, after. There's some stuff in meetings. So a couple that would benefit Rusty. Uh, reduce your slides by 50%. I almost had a heart attack when I did a day at Google and they said, we are slide free. Sorry, what? In an hour, I'm slide free. I've got like 200 slides perfectly manicured. Um, another one that would be really useful for me is um, get some feedback and check in with a co-coach. So often I can run a session and probably not be mindful enough of my co-coaches. And the last one that I, I really like is that it's around a reflection it gives me quite a nice framework. I, re um, I really appreciated, I struggled with, I discovered, I wish I had. So actually to have a conversation with me, players, coaches, and actually just go, look, here's some stuff I'd like to share because once again, if we want them to get better, if we, we, we expect them to be vulnerable and trying to get better and then we possibly need to model that better than we currently do. Often coaches, you know, hierarchically the king or queen and they know everything and we never get stuff wrong i think it's um i might have uh one of the stories i tell is i was did a school inset and i said um how many of you deliberately make mistakes when you're teaching or coaching and one lady puts her hand up and she says actually rusty it started out that i just wasn't that good a teacher but uh i actually now deliberately make five mistakes every lesson if they guess them at the end of the lesson, they go one nil up. If they don't, I go one nil up. And there's a prize at the end of the week. And I won't swear, but she said they concentrate a hell of a lot. Um, so that's kind of counterintuitive. But for me, that's a really interesting way of being vulnerable, of checking whether or not they understand or they're listening uh, and making it playful. And, you know, the, the kids are doing really well in their stuff. And of course they are, because that's pretty cool teaching. We'll just take a quick break here. For those of you who have tuned in to a previous podcast, you may have heard that Modern Soccer Coach have teamed up with Sports Lab 360 to produce an entire library of session plans that has just been added to their platform. So in addition to the platform being a tool to help your players increase their soccer IQ, as well as address tactical areas of development, 
The platform now provides you with over 60 session plans from myself and Modern Soccer Coach to go and address those areas of development. The time it has never been better through February, Sports Lab 360 is offering Modern Soccer Coach podcast listeners a season subscription for one team at a flat rate of only $200. Whether you're involved at high school or club, it's a tool for all coaches to consider. Affordable, effective, and you'll notice a huge difference in the level of game understanding amongst your players, as well as their ability to understand the instructions you provide them. So don't waste any time. Go online, sportslab360.com. Reach out to them. Tell them Gary sent you to get your team hooked up for this whole spring season. Back to Rusty. Let's talk about you know what we talked about before we start recording. That was these these cultures and and disrupting these cultures and disrupting how people think in these cultures. A role that again most people would say that's what I need. That's what we need in this organization, club, program. But then this is my belief, Rusty. We've we've got this picture of culture that we've got this great book that allows us to pick the people and take the people off. But at what stage does the people that you kick off, just the people that you don't agree with and the people that you value, the people that you do agree with, and it becomes a case of groupthink? I want to get your thoughts on that there. How do organizations and clubs have a culture, a real culture of disruption uh, that's healthy? And how can a, a coach absolutely be a part of that? It's a great uh, question. I just wrote some notes down there. Uh, I think we've got to celebrate it. So I think we've got to value, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a great mistake to help me learn. I, Eddie Jones, uh, I heard him say once, you know, we're making all the right mistakes to do well this weekend. So I think I, I quite like, so you've got to think about your language. I've also got to be mindful that people tend to ask me or visit me because they're already part way down there. So I've had a couple of breakthroughs this week with two of my most challenging coaches. And actually the, the, the solution was co-coaching was actually what I also probably another tradition tradition around coach development is either you watch me or I watch you and actually collaborating. I've had two real nice collaborations this week that have been awesome. And I've learned lots as well. The other stuff I wrote down with, I would tend to follow the energy. So if you've got an organization and there's some people that are excited about it, then, don't spend too much time with the other people because it annoys the people that are excited and it definitely takes away all your energy. But also be mindful that I need to spend time with people not like me as well, just to check and challenge myself. And doing a podcast tomorrow with Jamie Taylor, he's not like me. I'm a little bit nervous, but that's cool. I'm excited because I learn lots. Um, how do I kind of frame it with the coaches? I often try and give them choice. <clears throat> so putting the cards out gives them choice. They've immediately something I'm good at, and then something that's a bit of a stretch. <clears throat> so I can then start to see where they are individually. I think a killer question is important. So, you know, watch off the ball, put your hand up as soon as you've looked at the ball. No one gets beyond 20 seconds. Um, I often give them the choice as well. So um, I did a couple of days with football clubs last year. And because I only had one day booked in with them to start with, I was like, I've got nothing to lose. So I'm going to give you the choice. We can either be pink and fluffy or we can deep dive around reflection. It's entirely your choice. I'm cool with either, quite frankly. Um, and they choose deep dive and their choice, which gives me permission. And then they tend to want to invite me back. 
the other thing that I think is critical is how do you create longitudinal stuff so that, um, you know, I don't go in and then someone goes and tries something and it doesn't work the first time. And so they never do it again. It's really important for me that I create a WhatsApp group. I create a sharing group. I share my details. People can check in with me. Um, and I've just got to be mindful that often it takes time. So, I mean, I had amazing, um, I mean, this is amazing. So uh, Canada last year, I went to, I just went back to Vancouver for the BC conference. I went 12 months ago and I challenged a lot of coaches and probably they're, they're thinking significantly. Some of the stuff they have done in the last year has absolutely blown my mind. So two first team rugby coaches um, played against each other. They then went and spent the next session leading the review with the opposition. So, you know, head coach of Canada goes and spends time with head coach of, uh, with team from America and leads the review and then coaches them for a session and vice versa. The players are like, wow, that was incredible because we saw what they were trying to do. We experienced some different coaching. We understood why they, and it just grew their, you know, their, their game intelligence. So there's some stuff that, and that is brave coaching as well. Like, because there's definitely some moments and um, I think I did it with the coaches, you know, imagine I'd, I was like, just check under your chair. Someone's got a white envelope. Are you going to come up and you're going to sing karaoke with me? Who, want, who wants to be Elton John? Who wants to be Kiki D? And people are, people are freaking out. And, but often I think we need to feel like that before we coach. Now, I don't want to be full freak out. But I definitely want some nervous excitement around, look, there's some stuff here that's going to be quite interesting and I'm not sure how it'll go, but I'm, I'm going to roll with it. And I've got a couple of what ifs in my head just in case. And I, I think I prepped the right people beforehand so that this works. Um, so, yeah, lots of I, look, I don't think there's one answer. And I think it's um, I think as you as, as you'll know. As you experience lots of different stuff, you'll learn some tricks of the trade and some skills and you'll work stuff out. You'll go in this situation and possibly need to lean on this person or ask this question. Or, But, yeah, I mean, that's the exciting stuff, isn't it? So the two coaches this week, they were probably, you know, a year in the making, which is tough for Rusty because a year, seriously, like, that's ages. Why can't we do it straight away? Because one of my biases is, like, well, let's get this done straight away and they own it and they take responsibility. And why is this taking a year? Yeah. Maybe that's good feedback for me. Maybe I should have done it differently, brother. That's interesting just from a, a mentorship role as well, is people are obviously going to be moved towards you because they want growth. But at the same time, do people understand or appreciate that sometimes these are if you're dealing with a 30 year old coach, these are life changing behaviors. Like I've, I've coached for 17 years. Now I'm actually aggravated by, I think I've wasted five, 10 years here and there just by doing things that I've, it's easy for me to blame coach education or the background, but it's, I, I wasn't brave enough to question or I wasn't brave enough to think of. So I guess my question is, is like, how hard is it when, it does take patience with mentorship and change. Oh, mate, it's so hard. It kills me. However, yeah. look, I probably need to think, look, I've got to understand their context. So I'm thinking individually. I'm thinking longitudinally. I've got to understand that if someone coaches an hour a week 
they might only do 40 hours a year. And actually, they might need more scaffolding. They might need some solutions quickly to give them some success. And they may not have time to... So I'm mindful of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the support thing. So the other thing I've got to be really mindful of is that, well, what does the rest of their environment look like? So if they're in a football club, if they're in a rugby club, if they're... So um, one of the WhatsApp groups I'm on, and I won't speak too much about it, but has got a coach who's experiencing some tough stuff on at the moment. And uh, she is, it's someone hierarchically above her, basically telling her to rip on what she does and do it differently. Now, this group is definitely helping her significantly. So there are some coaches on this group who are rock stars and they're going, you're on the right track. Keep doing what you're doing. Remain authentic. Here's some, maybe some solutions that you can slightly adapt. So it appeases this type stuff. And so, um, I've really, it's it's high support as well. I mean, that's, the, as you would know, the, that's the challenge of coach development is it's it's exhausting and you get home and your wife tells you off for not talking and saying, you know, you spend all your life talking to other people. You never talk to me. I've run out of talking. I'm done. Put a fork in me. I mean, how, yeah, you must experience that as well. It's, it is exhausting. Yeah. My biggest frustration is the is that people say they want feedback or they want to change so you propose here's ways to do that and the people are like well i i didn't want to do it. i'd rather you had to give me this solution rather than that but again that's if it's going to be meaningful you want to take and I, again i just i've solved my own problem here thinking about it it's, it's perseverance and patience yeah and it's i think it's giving them the choice of going look we can do this a number of ways what's the best way for you you know, having some good questions around, you know, how do you want this to work? How do you want your feedback? Uh, tell me one thing about you that will help me coach you better uh, type stuff. Um, starting to really get to understand them. And then I would, you know, look, we do have, we've got a menu of options here. It's not one or the other. Which which one do you think is going to work? And cool, well, what, you know, how can, I, how can we hold each other to account? How can we make this stick? What's the stuff that's going to make this work? Um, and just agreeing some stuff around that. And for me, it's probably some relatively early successes and some nudges. And yeah, and then in my experience, people then go and do some pretty cool stuff later down the line. Uh, and it is possible to change. So I would have lots of people who would have described themselves and, you know, as, as old school coaches go, I'm going to live longer. I'm not going to have a heart attack anymore, Rusty. Yeah. It's more enjoyable. Like that's where... This obsession with winning, where you can run into into problems with your life and with balance and energy management. But when you go down a road of you're in a different race, you're in a different track completely because as you're trying to change, you get engaged and and completely sometimes overwhelmed by a different type of coaching that involves you getting better and you improving and changing things. And I think that has the potential to become way more enjoyable than three points. Yeah, I mean, and um, I just hang out with people that give me energy, if I'm honest. I'm actually, and I do get energy from helping other people, which is helpful. Um, I, It's a great way of putting it that actually you're in a slightly different race. Um, and I also think that, so Nepal coach Shannon, who we just did a podcast with, she's just gone full bore into gamification. So someone would come and see a gamification workshop and they can go, oh, I'll try a little bit. She's taking it to like the next level. 
So she's created netty dollars, netball dollars. The kids can earn netball dollars and that. And I said, how was it? And she was like, Rusty, I could coach. Like the practice design was so good. I just coached. And then it was really interesting. And she won't mind me saying this, but they've got quite a strict curriculum around how they do stuff. And she said, and my head of netball walked in and I was like, oh my God, because she's gone off script slightly. And she said, uh, and she just came over and said, what's going on? I've never seen them this engaged. And why are they talking about netball so much? What have you done? <laughs> she was like, she was suddenly really curious about this. And so that's the, I, I, I joke, but I mean, if I looked at my sessions nine months ago to now, I would be going, yeah, probably won't share that one that widely. I'm happy to share some of this stuff because it's definitely freeing me up to coach and notice more. As an example, why are we keeping school? So I've just now play games where I'll go, watch in three seconds, shout out your team score, three, two, one. And if they all shout out different scores, you're back to zero. Um, because why am I keeping school for you? Seriously, I've got better things to be doing. And the same with refereeing. So you're going to take it in turns to referee. If anyone has a go at the referee, the other team will pick an opposition player at the sim bin. And it only takes one go at the referee. Best player from one team gets sim bin. He then tells the rest of his team to shut up and stop talking to the ref. And we've solved the problem. Mm. So I'm always trying to think of ways that I can take myself away from the stuff that we just don't need to be doing. So soccer example, I work with a soccer coach and I said, right, we're going to have a bit of a look. So the next kind of 10 minutes, we're going to watch these games and between, between us, we're going to pick the top three scanners off the ball. And we're going to talk about why and what we've noticed. And cause I think it's a useful thing to notice. And he's feeding the ball in. Of course he is. And he, and he, and he goes for about two minutes and he goes rusty. I can't notice and feed the ball. I'm like, so why are you feeding the ball? So just put some balls around the pitch and if someone scores, they get to choose which ball to tactically help them. And then suddenly we start to tactically add some stuff in and you can stand with me or somewhere away from me and we can notice some stuff. Um, we would have a lot of, so that's a tradition. So in hockey, as an example, in field hockey, <clears throat> coaches always stand on the sideline in um in refereeing positions, in umpiring positions. Outfield coaches never stand with goalkeepers. Um, and the same in football. I often see coaches just feeding the ball. I mean, there's plenty of other people could feed. I'm sure there's coaches that are going to be on here and be enjoying this here and being like, right, these are these are great ideas. I wanna I wanna kind of go down this road. What what options have they opened for for soccer coaches to kind of I know you do the Magic Academy. Yeah, look, we uh, what do we do? We 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 have our cards. I can I'll send you the link for that. So I think we are www.themagicacademy.co.uk. Um, we have an online sharing site, so it's a small. I think it's about the cost of a coffee a month, and we share lots of stuff. I'll put on my more recent videos of me coaching as an example. Uh, we um, we do lots of stuff over here. I'm sometimes over in America. I do think my my time with the rugby coaches and any coach can come really in um, in in, uh, in Bowdoin College in July is one of the best because we're just four days on the pitch and we co-coach and uh, I'm over there again next year hopefully to do the uh, conference that's in uh, Disney which sounds pretty cool um, 
Yeah, and if anyone wants to invite me over and I've got a bit of spare time, I'm always uh, I'm always keen for a bit of jet lag. Uh, yeah, and if people are over in England, we do quite a bit of stuff. I just had a couple of uh, junior kind of grassroots soccer coaches contact me today and say, "Look, would you come and do some stuff?" So I'm always I'm always out and about in the UK as well. So uh, yeah, if anyone and I'm on Twitter, so <clears throat> at Russell Earnshaw, I think just reach out. I'll always I'm always happy to chat with coaches. Thank you so much, Rusty. This has flown by. But I've loved it. Thank you so much. Mike, I really appreciate it. Awesome to see you hanging in Boston and hopefully we'll uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks so much to Rusty for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Unfortunately, I missed his presentation uh, up in Boston. I had a coffee with another coach just before I presented. So he did his presentation and then I was up. And whenever I walked into the room, there was posters up. Coaches were coming out talking. And I knew it was pretty special, so I wanted to get him on and kind of follow up from it. And I just love that conversation. I love how he challenges us to think about why we do certain things. And when we talk about creativity in coaching, we tend to think about these elaborate exercises or drills or these tactical innovations that Pep Guardiola gives us every other week, basically. But there are more creative and possibly more productive ways to be creative in our environments rather than just our exercises. And I love how every story tells about a hockey game or a rugby game. You could just apply that to soccer. And as we are in an era of looking for more player ownership and better decision makers, more independent thinkers, more leadership groups, all these things that we want from our environments we're going to have to adapt our environments and change our coaching in order to do that there it's not as easy as just bringing in a little bit of technology or bringing in a psychologist and they're going to add all these things to you you're going to have to adapt as a coach and we're going to have to start looking at these environments that we're creating with a little bit more detail and a little bit more of a critical analysis than what we're currently doing so so some great ideas there I think a lot of coaches, especially on the modern soccer coach platform and mentorship, things that we've done, they've asked about, you know, getting how do you get feedback as a coach? And I think we've progressed beyond someone going to watch your training session and saying, oh, well, you know, you got your coaching points in or that delivery was good or your tone or your communication was this or that. I think we've got to get beyond that there. I think in order for someone to really give you feedback on your coaching, they need to look at your environment. They need to spend two or three days in your environment and see exactly where the flaws are, exactly where there's maybe weaknesses in organizational structure. Not not necessarily your coaching, but the flow of information and the way that things are organized that makes communication difficult or that puts up barriers to things that you want to try and drive through. So I would definitely, definitely, definitely recommend looking at how you can do that to your environment and how you can bring in people to maybe give you some advice on overcoming that. Because I think if you get the environment right, I think Rusty alludes to in a couple of his stories there, I think you have way more space to do the coaching I think you've way more space for energy and freedom and, and those relationships become a bit healthier because there is less resistance so definitely 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 uh, follow up with Rusty on all the social media platforms let me know what you think for sure let me know at Gary Kernin on Twitter at Gary Kernin on Instagram 
always interested to hear what your feedback is and, and things that you got out of the podcast but as always appreciate you listening have a great week goodbye thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources head on over to coach kerneen on facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com 